Peace be upon you. So the most comprehensive story we have in the Quran is in Surah 12 entitled Joseph. And it's about the life of Joseph from childhood all the way to adulthood. And you don't see this for anyone else's history because other people's history, you'll see it in piecemeal where bits and pieces are scattered throughout the Quran. And as a reader of the Quran, you start putting them together in the relevancy. But this isn't the case for Joseph. In the story of Joseph, we see his entire life uh, depicted for us. And there's so many lessons in this story. And in Surah 12, verse 7, it says, In Joseph and his brothers, there are lessons for the seekers. So God willing, in this episode, I want to pull some of these morsels, some of these gems out of the story of Joseph and see how these all kind of tie together. Now, needless to say, you could spend volumes and volumes talking about the lessons in the story of Joseph. And by no means am I going to do it justice that it deserves, but hopefully it's going to intrigue some thought in these themes. So the first one I want to go over is the three dreams that Joseph had and what we can learn from each of these dreams. The first dream that's depicted that Joseph interprets is in Surah 12 verse 4. And it reads, Recall that Joseph said to his father, Oh, my father, I saw 11 planets and the sun and the moon. I saw them prostrating before me. Now, let's break this down. Who was Joseph's father? Joseph's father was Jacob. Jacob was a prominent, honorable messenger of God. And here is this child telling his father that he had this elaborate dream where the solar system was prostrating before him, this child. And the way he describes this to his father, you see that there is humility in his voice because he says, oh, my father, I saw 11 planets, the sun and the moon. Then he, there's this pause where it says, I saw them prostrating before me. And anyone who's talked with a child, they realize this action. When a child is apprehensive to tell you something, they stutter, they, they repeat their language. And this is what we're seeing with Joseph, that he had humility. He realized what this was depicting. And he wanted to explain this to his father, but he wanted to do it in a humble manner. He didn't say, oh, my father, I saw 11 planets, the sun and the moon prostrating before me. Because he had this hesitation in his speech that we see that he had this level of humility. And as a child, it's easy to be humble because most people in your life, they're going to be bigger than you. They're going to be smarter than you, more accomplished, more respected. And we see how this changes as Joseph ages. The second dream that we have of Joseph that he interprets is when he's in prison. And it reads in uh, 1236, it says, two young men were in the prison with him. And it's worth noting that these were young men, young adults. They weren't over the age of 40. And it says, one of them said, I saw in my dream that I was making wine. And the other said, I saw myself carrying bread on my head from which the birds were eating. Inform us of the interpretation of these dreams. We see that you are righteous. So these individuals, they've had these dreams and they're going to Joseph. They're acknowledging that they recognize his righteousness. And this is Joseph's response in 1237. He said, if any food is provided to you, I can inform you about it before you receive it. This is some of the knowledge bestowed upon me by my Lord. I have forsaken the religion of people who do not believe in God. And with regard to the hereafter, they are really disbelievers. And I followed instead the religion of my ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We never set up any idols beside God. Such is the blessing from God upon us and upon the people, but most people are unappreciative. 
So up until now, Joseph is just stating facts. He's explaining why it is that he believes that he's part of the righteous. And it continues in 1239. And you see that Joseph's tone changes from this point. It says, oh, my prison mates, it's talking to these people. Are several gods better or God alone, the one, the supreme? You do not worship beside him except innovations you have made up. You and your parents, God has never authorized such idols. All ruling belongs to God, and he has ruled that you shall not worship except him. This is the perfect religion, but most people do not know. We see that Joseph, in essence, is berating these people for their false beliefs. And you could say, yeah, Joseph is right, but is the tactic by which he's doing this right? And we see in the following verse how almost heartless Joseph is when he interprets these dreams. It continues in 1241. It says, oh, my prison mates. One of you will be the wine butler for his Lord, while the other will be crucified, and the birds will eat from his head. This settles the matter about which you have inquired. So Joseph just told this individual that he's going to be crucified and birds are going to eat from his head. So he berates him, tells him that he's going to face certain death, and he acts like nothing happened. There's no sensitivity in his voice. There's no humility. Now, yeah, everything he stated is true, but the manner by which he did it, you see that there's a hint of uh, arrogance. And I believe this is confirmed in the following verse. In 1242, he then said to the one to be saved, remember me at your Lord. The word is Rab, that he's asking him to help, ask his Lord to help get him out of prison. Thus, the devil caused him to forget his Lord and consequently, he remained in prison a few more years. This slip-up in the attitude, this slip-up in the, the fact that he's imploring other than God to help relieve his pain, it was a major error on his part. For someone so righteous, he was oblivious to this. And God tells us in the Quran, in Surah 61, verse 2 and 3, says, O you who believe, why do you say what you do not do? Most abominable in the sight of God is that you say what you do not do. Joseph just spent this entire monologue berating these people that they're worshiping powerless idols. In the second he's done, he basically goes ask them to implore his idol to help get him out of prison. And he forgot. And as believers, we need to be appreciative when God corrects us. Because if we make these errors, if we don't see the errors of our way, and we continue down that path, it could lead us to hell. So it's much better to be corrected to learn the errors of our ways and fix them rather than make the long-term consequence of going to hell in a state of disbelief, in a state of arrogance. In 4730, it reads, if we will, we can expose them for you. And this is God talking to Prophet Muhammad regarding the hypocrites. And it says, so that you can recognize them just by looking at them. However, you can recognize them by the way they talk. God is fully aware of all your works. How we communicate to people is more reflective of our belief than what it is we actually claim we believe. Because we see this in the example of Joseph. Joseph was saying he worships God alone, he renounces all forms of idol worship, but how did he conduct himself? What did he end up doing? In Surah 3, verse 159, we have the example. It says, It was mercy from God that you became compassionate towards them. Had you been harsh and mean-hearted, they would have abandoned you. Therefore, you shall pardon them, ask forgiveness for them, and consult them. Once you make a decision, carry out your plan and trust in God. God loves those who trust in Him. These two prison mates, these young men, 
they were acknowledging Joseph's righteousness. This was an opportunity for Joseph to empower them, to give them the message, to help convey to them why they should abandon any form of idol worship and worship God alone. But he didn't utilize this opportunity, and because of that, he fell. So we see that Joseph went from a state of humility to a state of arrogance. And by God's leave, we see in the third dream that he corrects his ways. The third dream happened with the uh, king. In Surah 12, verse 43, it says, The king said, I saw seven fat cows being devoured by seven skinny cows and seven green spikes of wheat, and the others shriveled. Oh, my elders, advise me regarding my dream, if you know how to interpret the dreams. They said, nonsense dreams. When it comes to the interpretation of dreams, we are not knowledgeable. The one who is saved from the prison said, Now that he finally remembered, I can tell you its interpretation, so send me to Joseph. Now when this person goes to Joseph, how does Joseph respond in interpreting the dream? Does he tell these people off? Does he tell them about how uh, their ways are uh, nullified and they're all going to hell? No. He interprets a dream. In 1246, it says, Joseph, my friend, inform us about the seven fat cows being devoured by seven skinny cows and seven green spikes and others shriveled. I wish to go back with some information for the people. And Joseph just tells them. He said, what you cultivate during the next seven years, when the time of harvest comes, leave the grains in their spikes except for what you eat. After that, seven years of drought will come, which will consume most of what you stored for them. After that, a year will come that brings relief for the people. They will once again press Jews. So Joseph didn't berate them, didn't tell them off. He interpreted the dream for them. And then when they went back and they informed the king about the dream, in 1250, it says, the king said, bring him to me. When the king's messengers went to him, to Joseph, Joseph said, he didn't say, Okay, hey, great, you guys got me, thank you. He said, go back to your Lord and ask him to investigate the women who cut their hands. My Lord is fully aware of their schemes. He wanted his name to be cleared. He wasn't satisfied with the worldly people conducting his affairs. He left it to the hands of God. In 1251, it says, the king said to the women, what do you know about the incident when you tried to seduce Joseph? They said, God forbid, we do not know of anything evil committed by him. The wife of the governor said, now that the truth has prevailed, I am the one who tried to seduce him. And he was the truthful one. The fact that Joseph could have said, you know what? This is my time to get out. Let's go. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to investigate what happens. They might, you know, lie against me again. He wanted to clear his name because he realized that God was the one who's in control. God was the one who dictated him to be in prison. And God is the one who will dictate for him to come out of prison. So after all that's cleared up, in 1254, we read, the king said, bring him to me in regards to Joseph so I can hire him to work for me. When he talked with him, he said, today you have a prominent position with us. Now, what did Joseph's response say? Oh, thank you. Thank you for this position. No, he said, he said, make me the treasure for I'm experienced in this area and knowledgeable. Joseph could have said, I'll take whatever job you got, give it to me. He realized he had confidence in God. He realized it wasn't the king who was giving him the position. God was the one who was giving him the position. And when he asked for this, it wasn't out of, his, uh, out of arrogance. It was out of confidence because he understood God's system now. In, in 1256, as we thus established Joseph on earth, ruling as he wished, we shower our mercy upon whomever we will, and we never fail to recompense the righteous. You know, sometimes we confound 
Arrogance with confidence. The two are not the same. Arrogance is coming when it comes out of emotion and hatred. Confidence comes when it comes from God. When you're not speaking out of personal desire. You're holding fast to God and you're not being arrogant to the people. And this subtlety, this subtle difference, I believe is what we learn from these three dreams. God willing, in the next lesson from Joseph, I want to look at the example of increasing faith through tragedy. The person I want to look at for this example is that of Jacob. Jacob realized the righteousness in Joseph. And he saw that this was going to be a turning point in his life, that his brothers were going to plot and scheme against him. But despite this, he never objected. He never uh, went into a rage, renounced God, but he used this as an opportunity to draw closer to God. In Surah 12, verse 5, Jacob gives Joseph the following advice after hearing his dream. He says, My son, do not tell your brothers about your dream, lest they plot and scheme against you. Surely the devil is man's worst enemy. So Jacob is acknowledging that it's the devil that's the enemy. It's not his brothers. The devil is the one who put the envy into his brothers' hearts that twisted what they see, the relationship between Jacob and Joseph, to make that into a something that they're willing to commit sin over. And Jacob sensed that their brothers were plotting against Joseph. In 12.11 they said, so this is the brothers, oh, uh, our father, why do you not trust us with Joseph? We will take good care of him. He send him with us tomorrow to run and play. We will protect him. Jacob's response is in the following verse. It says, I worry lest you go away with him, then the wolf may devour him while you are not watching. Jacob is acknowledging that it's not a wolf. It's not a general statement. He's saying the wolf, meaning he knows who the wolf is. And by saying this, he's signifying that it's not worried about the brothers. He's worried about the devil getting to them in this isolated state without supervision, that they're going to conduct an act that ultimately they're going to regret. In 12.17, it continues, the brothers said, our father, we went racing with each other, leaving Joseph with our equipment, and the wolf devoured him. It's almost like they're ridiculing uh, Jacob. They're saying, oh, it was that wolf you're talking about, that specific one, not realizing that Jacob was in uh, reference to the devil. And it continues, says, you will never believe us even if we were telling the truth. This continuous act of almost ridicule where there, there's no hiding what it is they actually did. And it says they produce his shirt with fake blood on it. And they're indicating that he was devoured by a wolf, but his shirt wasn't torn. It just had fake blood on it. What kind of a, a animal would be able to devour someone, take off their shirt, sprinkle blood on it? None of it makes sense. And Jacob knows this. In 12.18, it continues, Jacob's response is, Indeed, you have conspired with each other to commit a certain scheme. All I can do is resort to a quiet patience. May God help me in the face of your conspiracy. Jacob is fully aware of what's going on here. And the word that he uses for quiet patience in Arabic is sabir jamil. Jamil means beautiful. He said, despite what you've done, despite what you're conspiring, with his full acknowledgement, He's saying, I'm resorting to beautiful patience. He's not getting angry. He's not getting upset. He's submitting to God, realizing God is the one who ultimately decides the outcome of any event. Now, most people, when they suffer tragedy, they regress. They have post-traumatic uh, stress. 
Certain individuals, through hardship and pain, they have growth. And I see Jacob is growing from this situation. That rather than saying, I'm going to get upset, angry, I'm going to renounce you, <laughs> give my son back, he accepts it. And he resorts to beautiful patience. Now what's fascinating is, fast forward many, many years, and a similar situation happens with uh, Joseph's younger brother uh, in the Bible. His name is Benjamin. Uh, he's not mentioned in the Quran, but in 1263, the brothers of Joseph go to Egypt. They don't recognize that the treasure now is Joseph. They get all these provisions from them. They get all these benefits from uh, Joseph. And the request is that they have to come back with their younger brother. Otherwise, they're not going to get anything. So in 1263, the brothers are pleading with Jacob. When they return to their father, they said, Our father, we can no longer get any provisions unless you send our brother with us. It says, We will take good care of him. This is the exact same language they use when they were uh, referencing Joseph back in uh, uh, 1212. That they're saying that they're going to be hafizun, the guardians over Joseph, and now they're saying the same thing about Benjamin. And what is Joseph, uh, Jacob's response? Jacob's response is in 1264. It says, Shall I trust you with him as I trusted you with his brother before that? God is the best protector. And of all the merciful ones, he is the most merciful. Jacob is taking the language that the brothers used in the sense of a, a guardian, a hafez, and saying, Out of all the protectors, God is the best protector. He's the one who's the decision maker, not you guys. And what happens in the following verse? In 1265 is when they opened their bags, they found their goods returned to them. They said, our father, what more can we ask for? Here are our goods returned to us. We can thus provide for our family, protect our brother, and receive one more camel load. This is certainly a profitable deal. What are the lens that the brothers are viewing? They see this as a profitable deal. They see this in the vanity of this world. And I want to come back to this point. And it continues in 1266, he said, I will not send him with you unless you give me a solemn pledge before God that you will bring him back unless you are utterly overwhelmed. When they gave him their solemn pledge, he said, God is witnessing everything we say. Jacob is telling them, no more games. If you're going to do this, you have to do this honorably. Do it uh, righteously. But he leaves them with one piece of information. He tells them, don't enter through one door, enter through separate doors. God willing, later, I'm going to get into what I believe this means. What is the significance of entering through separate doors? But let's continue on. So what takes place? Joseph's brothers, they go with Benjamin. And sure enough, Joseph creates a scheme whereby he can retain Benjamin for himself. And they have to go back to their father and explain to them what happened. And we read in 1283, Jacob says, Indeed, you have conspired to carry out a certain scheme. Quiet patience, sabr jamil, beautiful patience, is my only recourse. May God bring them all back to me. He is omniscient, most wise. He, Jacob, turned away from them, saying, I am grieving over Joseph. His eyes turned white from grieving so much. He was truly sad. They said, by God, you will keep on grieving over Joseph until you become ill or until you die. He said, I simply complain to God about my dilemma and grief, for I know from God what you do not know. So here's the kicker. In 1287, we see that Jacob knows that this is Joseph. 
He says, Oh, my sons, go fetch Joseph and his brother and never despair of God's grace. None despairs of God's grace except the disbelieving people. So he realizes that this is Joseph. The question is, why is he still grieving? Because there is one fundamental question that is not answered that I believe Jacob has doubt about and he needs to know. But during this whole time, we see that Jacob, he didn't renounce God. He didn't turn his back away from God. He didn't question God's wisdom. He tried his utmost to maintain composure, to trust in God. And we read in the same chapter in verse 110, it says, just when the messengers despair and think that they have been rejected, our victory comes to them. We uh, then save whomever we choose while our retribution for the guilty people is unavoidable. This is what's taking place in Jacob's life. That he believes that this is it, that he can't handle anymore, and God is providing him relief. And that's the difference between his conduct and how Joseph conducted himself in the prison. That when he saw that there was an element where he could implore someone other than God to help him, he did, and he failed. But Jacob didn't. In 12.106, it reads, The majority of those who believe in God do not do so without committing idol worship. That it's a miracle that throughout all this, that Jacob was only imploring God, that he was only asking for help from God. He did not turn away from his religion. How many people would be able to do that? How many people? Imagine your child was abducted and your only recourse is to implore God. You didn't go to the police. You didn't go file a criminal report, go on CNN and present yourself. You simply turned it over to God. I don't think many people in the history of human civilization would have that level of faith that Jacob did. That through this entire turmoil, he drew closer to God. That he grew from this situation as opposed to regressing. Now I want to talk about the next theme in the story of Joseph. And this has to do with value. How we value something, it shows what our values are as a person. Throughout the story of Joseph, people valued him at a different price. They put a different price tag on his soul, on his life. We see that Jacob had the highest value for Joseph because of his righteousness. But contrast that with the value his brothers put on Joseph. They put a negative value on him, meaning that they preferred that he would be banished or dead rather than having him around. For me, the value that they assessed came out of sin. It came out of envy because he was getting the attention from their father. And they thought that the attention was given to him was for vanity's sake. It wasn't. It was for righteousness. Or take the caravan that found him into the well, that hid him in their merchandise and smuggled them and sold them, sold Joseph for a cheap price. What value did they put on this precious gift from God, this individual who was blessed with tremendous righteousness? These people are going to be held accountable. Or take the governor who bought him, who negotiated down and bought him for a few dirham and gave it to his wife to take care of. How much did he value Joseph? He thought, maybe this could be our son. Or the governor's wife who wanted to take away his chastity, his purity for her own sexual desire. How much did she value Joseph? And the list goes on and on. The king knowing full well that this individual was able to get them out of famine through his interpretation of the dream. How much did he value Joseph? He valued him so much that he was willing to make him the treasure for the entire country. 
And you see, different people will value something at different amounts, but their value is dependent on what it is that they're actually valuing. Are they valuing things of vanity of this world, or are they valuing things for the hereafter? Because the only ones in this entire story who are valuing for the sake of the hereafter were Joseph and Jacob. Joseph was willing to go to prison rather than give away his chastity. Jacob was willing to endure all the hardship, everything, because he only implored God and he trusted in God wholeheartedly. But everyone else in this story, the reasons, their motivations for the value was for this world. And this brings us to the final lesson I want to pull from the story of Joseph. And it has to do with an object that's mentioned six times in this surah, that's not mentioned anywhere else in the entire Quran. And it's the shirt. This shirt, it's obviously not the same shirt, but Joseph's shirt is mentioned six times in this Quran, in this surah. And every single time, it's a pivotal moment of this surah. And I believe that this ties the entire, these four themes all together. His dream, the growth through tragedy, the value, and now the last lesson, the shirt. The Arabic is gamiz. And it's the only word, um, the only time this word is used in the Quran is the six times that occur in the story of Joseph. The first time that it's used, it's when the brothers took Joseph's shirt, poured fake blood on it, and used it as evidence to prove to their father that he was dead. Now this shirt, like we mentioned, had no bite marks. It just had fabricated uh, blood and was presented as evidence to trick Jacob into thinking that Joseph was dead. The second time the shirt comes into the story is when the governor's wife was seducing Joseph and they ran towards the door. They raced towards the door. And what happened? She tore his garment from the back. But his garment was used as evidence to, uh, for his innocence. That because it was torn from the back, that it was her who was the one who was seducing him and not the other way around. The third time that the shirt is brought up is when Joseph is revealed to his brothers that he's Joseph, the treasure of Egypt. And he provides his shirt to give to their brothers, to deliver to Jacob. For what? When I first read this, I thought the intention was to tell Jacob that, hey, I'm alive. Then I realized something. Jacob already knew Joseph was alive. The doubt that Joseph, Jacob had, wasn't if he was alive. The doubt that he had was, did the wolf devour him? Did the devil get to him? Did the devil allow all this pain and suffering that Joseph had to endure throughout his life to get the best of him? And this is what he wasn't sure about. When he saw that Joseph was plotting against the brothers, he didn't know, was this nefarious? Was he doing this to torture them? And he tried to send a sign to Jacob, but Jacob didn't pick up the sign. What he did was he provided back the goods of the brothers back into their load to show Jacob that he didn't care about the vanities of this world, that he didn't turn his back to chase after lust, to chase after power, to chase after provisions, because he realized that all that mattered was his relationship with God. And this is in complete contrast to Joseph's brothers, 
who all they could do is see things through the lens of this world. They took his shirt. They ripped it away from him. They thought, if we bring our brother Benjamin, we'll get one more camel load. Or the governor's wife, who said, look, I don't care about chastity. I don't care about his purity. I want the lust, this desire to be fulfilled. And I'm willing to lie, cheat, steal, whatever it takes to get it. And if he's not willing to give it to me, I'm going to send him to prison. All these events, the uncertainty was, did this turn Joseph away from God or make him draw closer? When Joseph takes the shirt off his back to go and give to his father, it's giving him certainty that he did not lose his faith. He did not lose his righteousness. While most people, they race after the things of this world, just like the, the, uh, the Joseph's brothers did when they said, we went racing or in the sake of the governor's wife, when she raced towards the door with him. What Joseph was racing after wasn't in this world. He was racing after righteousness for the hereafter. In 1220, we read the following verse regarding the caravan that found Joseph in the well. It says, They sold him for a cheap price, a few dirhams, for they did not have any need for him. And the Arabic for this is Zahid. Zahid means someone who doesn't have need for the material possessions of this world. Now, why is these people who are clearly materialistic using such a term? It's because most people, they only value the aspect of something for how it's used for them in this world. And they neglect the hereafter. But Joseph was truly Zahid. He truly desired the hereafter as did Jacob. And because of that, God blessed them. In 12.6, it says, Your Lord has thus blessed you and has given you good news through your dream. He has perfected his blessings upon you and upon the family of Jacob as he did for your ancestors, Abraham and Isaac before that. Your Lord is omniscient, most wise. And how does this story end? In 12.100, we read, He, Joseph, raised his parents upon the throne. They fell prostrate before him. He said, Oh, my father, this is the fulfillment of my old dream. My Lord has made me come true. He has blessed me, delivered me from the prison, and has brought you from the desert after the devil had driven a wedge between me and my brothers. My Lord is most kind towards whomever he wills. He is the knower most wise. This was the fulfillment of the dream, that throughout the entire ordeal, that throughout the devil interfering to get the best of Joseph, to interfere with the righteousness of Jacob, that they maintained their piety, they maintained their faith, and they brought this vision to an end. Because they weren't prostrating to Joseph, they were all prostrating before him to God, the one who created them, the one who controls all matters and all affairs. As stated at the beginning, there's so many lessons in the story of Joseph. Any one of these tidbits could be written volumes about, but God willing just wanted to give a short summary about some of these beautiful lessons that I take away when I read this. And every time I read this story, every time I think about this story, there's new information, new lessons for us to learn. So God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at Quran at gmail.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.